Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Polly Campbell, and this is Simply Said. Hello, hello, hello. I'm Polly Campbell, and you're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said, the podcast where we talk about how to live well, do good, and be happy by creating work that matters and living lives that we want to live. And relationships are a huge part of that for all of us, right? Whether they're working well or more challenging, they influence everything we do. And we're going to talk about it today. We have one of the experts in the world, right? I can say that, Linda. I mean, you, you and your husband, Charlie Bloom, have contributed so much to the community as far as how we can live and work in partnership. Linda Bloom and Charlie Bloom have lectured and taught at learning institutes throughout the USA, including Esalen, Kripalu for yoga and health, the California Institute for Integral Studies, and all over the place. They have numerous books out, more coming. I have followed them for years because every time I was writing an article or thinking about something in my own marriage, their articles would fly up on my screen. So this is really practical, valuable information, right as we head into Valentine's Day. And I'm interested, Linda, in talking about all of this because the nature of our partnerships are also changing thanks to the pandemic and thanks to the shift in how we're working and living together at home. So we're going to get into it all today. Welcome, Linda Bloom, to the I'm podcast. Delighted. Thank delighted you for Delighted to here. be with you. All right. I want to know everything. So, I mean, per- perhaps the most important credential is you've been married almost 50 years. You've been with Charlie, your husband, longer than that. And you've worked together much of this time. So that's, I mean, you're practicing what you talk and teach about, right? I mean, this is a real world thing for you. Yes, we have been in the trenches of <laughs> relationship. There have been some times when we had really rough periods in our relationship and we paid attention and we were diligent and committed and got our communication and negotiation skills up and particularly our conflict management skills honed and it's really served us well. And it seems to be one of the things that 
our students, clients, and readership most value is we're willing to tell the before and after stories on ourselves. We talk about when it didn't work <laughs> and how we figured out how to make it work. Well, that's brave, but I think you touch on an important point because even for the experts, sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes it just isn't working. And that doesn't mean you throw it away. It means you, you decide and you, and you choose to work on the skills we need to have. If you have that felt intuitive sense that the relationship is really worth fighting for, there are so many creative options that are available to us. A lot of the people who lose their relationships is because they don't tap into that felt sense of the potential that we have if we do our own work, both of us. It takes two people doing the work and people say, oh, I have a good work ethic. I'm willing to do the work. I just don't know exactly what my work is. And that's what we can discover in counseling, in the relationship workshops and by reading the best books on relationship. When people start to see that there are options available, particularly by keeping their attention on themselves and how they may be getting in their own way of manifesting the relationship of their dreams, that's when things really start cooking because they can shift some of the things that they've been doing that may be off-putting or frightening or hurt the other person. And this works in the professional world as well as the personal world. My area tends to be more about romantic partnerships, but some of the same rules apply. One of the things I really appreciate in uh, the, the books you write and the, and the materials you put out there is you talk about creating satisfying relationships as a skill. And when I read that, it makes it seem like something I can learn. <laughs> I can get better. Yes, it, it's reassuring to people because they have all learned different skills. You know, how to do math equations we learn in school, how to write a decent letter or report. And when you see that a lot of what allows relationships to thrive are noticing where you're strong and have signature strengths, some people are very skilled communicators. Some people are skilled negotiators. Some people are skilled in conflict management. Some people are weak in all of those areas. No, no blame on self, no blame on our families who didn't teach us better. If they knew better, they would have taught us better. But in our generation, we can learn how to be excellent communicators, to speak with I statements, to speak vulnerably with our intimates, if we have a romantic partner, they're the person that we most want to be seen and heard by, to be able to reveal some very tender, vulnerable material about when we feel hurt, when we feel disappointed, when we feel lonely, when we're sad, when we're frightened. Some of these skills are a little different for the intimate partnership, romantic partnership. We wouldn't go that deep in the workplace but we might want to play the edge of the comfort zone being a little bit more revelatory in the workplace because that's where people tend to feel connected with each other. And to hone the skills 
communication skills, repair skills when things break down about how to put them back together again and negotiating for our needs so both sides feel that they are winning. These are incredibly important skills to up-level a relationship, whether it's a professional one or a personal one. I think that's so important that you you touch on that because, I mean, of course, when I'm working with with other people or handling a project, that does involve a, a certain amount of negotiation. And since the pandemic started, I've been more vulnerable in how I talk to the people I'm working with. Like I have said, no, I need to be home this day with my daughter because we're struggling with this or whatever it is. And I've never done that in work before. I've just always kept the two separate. And what I found is people are more responsive to me in the workplace as well. The people that I'm working with on projects are, they get that and they're um, more compromising or they're willing to talk more openly about how we can make something work better or more creatively. It's been an interesting revelation to me. I'm so happy to hear this. I have a very, very deep desire that some good things come out of this plague time that we're in. And hopefully people are realizing what really matters. And by having to shelter in place and not be able to be with the people that we love, family and friends and gather and party, uh, I think it's becoming keen in people's awareness, how precious our relationships are and to tend to them more carefully, to let people know what they mean to us, to do the kind of things that you've been doing, risking being more vulnerable, bringing the personal out. And when people feel safe, when they feel valued, when they feel secure, they're not gonna be shamed, they're not gonna be blamed, they're not gonna be made wrong. That invites them to come forward with a little bit more of their authentic self too. And I think it can not only be enlivening in families, but it can be enlivening in the workplace. It's so precious to be able to have coworkers. And when people are working virtually from home and missing being in the workplace together, they are trying, a lot of us really trying our best to bring the personal touch, to make it count, even when we're, you know, FaceTiming and Zooming and uh, talking by phone because we can't be together in person. And it is maybe one of the most wonderful things that could come out of the pandemic times. I, I think that's very hopeful and I've found it to be really rewarding. I worked with some people for years and we've always had a great relationship and um, I see them differently now. I, I know them differently now. Um, Maybe because I'm slowing down a little bit too, but but I like you said, I have risked it. I have been frank and said, nope, can't do the job today. I need to do it this way. Uh, the other thing that's happened in many of our lives, mine included, is our domestic partner, our romantic partner has been home a lot more. I've seen him in different ways. For the first six months of the pandemic, he worked at home full-time and I work at home full-time. And now he's back and forth a little more that presents new challenges and new opportunities. When I settled into that, I found that we had to learn different ways of talking to each other because 
I couldn't ask him how his day was because I knew how his day was. He was sitting right in front of me the whole day. So we had to get more creative. What are you finding? And, and why has that been? I mean, I've known marriages that have broken up during this time. And I've known several like ours that have gotten stronger. What is happening there for us, do you think? Anything that was going on prior to the pandemic has been amplified. So if there were fissures in the relationship that were just small cracks, they got bigger. And some of the people, it did break them up. For some of the people, they couldn't escape by going to work and going to the gym and going to their friends and going to wherever they went to to get away from the challenges that were incomplete that needed to be addressed. And the couples who were doing well, since it was in their face day and night and they couldn't escape as easily, they took them on and they leaned into the challenge and they had some of the crucial conversations some of which had been waiting around for years for them to have. And those couples who are getting complete on those things that were laying around unattended to, they have up-leveled their relationship. They're coming through the pandemic with a better relationship than before. What I've noticed is the introverts seem to be doing better. They're kind of relieved that they, it's, it's a good reason to stay home and not be so busy and out in the world. The extroverts are feeling deprived because they like to have more social interaction. And so that can be amplified when the introverts are feeling like they're not getting enough privacy and solitude. And I've heard from a number of them, they need to have agreement with their partner and their kids too, that they can go behind a closed door and have time for themselves and not be interrupted. The extroverts have different needs, not so much for the quiet and solitude, but they need the interactions. So people are calling and emailing and writing old fashioned letters and FaceTiming, sometimes with friends that they haven't talked to for years, but because they're needing more contact, they're reaching out to people who are in their life presently, and even some people who were in their life and were important in their life for a while, but they drifted away from each other and reinvigorating those connections. And I think that's a beautiful thing too. I, I think, uh, first of all, I like how you are so open and remind us to look at these situations with no judgment. I mean, nobody's doing anything wrong. It is what it is, right? I am the introvert. I woke up one day in my quiet office and the very next day, everybody was in my space. I would go to the bathroom and people would be talking at me through the door. My husband is an extrovert and he's like, wait a minute, there's nobody in the lunchroom because there's only two people here, you know? And, and it was totally different, but, uh, we have learned about each other in interesting ways. Um, one of the things you talk about that we are working on is conscious combat. You never, you and Charlie in your work, I've never heard you say, no, there isn't going to be conflict. The best relationships, you know, are smooth, but it's how we take that on that determines whether it's going to work or not. Is that accurate? Exactly. There are bound to be differences. And John Gottman, who is a researcher about couples who thrive versus the ones who don't, has been very explicit because he studied couples when they first meet, when they fall in love, when they propose, when they get married, and then followed them for decades afterward. These people have the same issues, the same differences that they came in with as a young couple in their 20s 
you know, decades later. The couples who are successful have made a big space. So nobody's bad and wrong, just different. And they have learned from each other's differences. And when they have differences, they don't freak out about it. They don't act out about it. They don't withdraw from them and be, you know, avoidant that they can't touch it. They can't talk about it. There's a bunch of taboo subjects, nor do they act out and get grumpy and grouchy and holler and swear and name call and do all the un unskillful things. The couples who are doing well recognize that they have different personalities. They have different histories, they have different even values sometimes, and they can learn to be respectful of each other's styles of being in the world and not trying to lobby to make the other person more like them in their righteous attitude that their way is better, that they really learn respect at a very deep level. And that will hold couples in good stead to not argue. They may debate an issue, they may have different points of view, but they do it with tremendous responsibility and respect. I will tell you that we are, I'm getting better at this with my husband, but I would still like him to do it exactly my way. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what can I do? What is my responsibility to that? Is he just, you know, a jerk who's thinking backwards or do I need to back off and learn a new way of dealing with those moments in my frustration? Yes, when you're frustrated and when you get angry and when that grumbling mind starts to make him into the jerk and <laughs> that's all and he's doing it wrong, breathe, yeah. center yourself. When you get triggered like that and you're flooded with emotion and it's not just you, all of us are going to be flooded with emotion. Sometimes our partner is going to aggravate us. They're going to touch some kind of sore spot that we have. But that is a time for us to take a mini break. Maybe a few breaths is enough. Maybe longer is going to be necessary when we're triggered to comfort ourselves, mm -hmm. to soothe ourselves, to be compassionate with ourselves. And by all means, bring curiosity and wonder that why am I so lit up about this? <laughs> because sometimes it's really old. A hot button for me is being ignored. And if I don't feel like I'm getting enough attention, that's when I hear the grumbling in the mind, you know, negligent person. And I need to realize that that's an old childhood wound. Here I am in my 70s. It still gets banged into sometimes. But when I soothe myself and I remember, I bring the curiosity and wonder, why am I so triggered right now. I remember that that little girl who wanted to be appreciated and valued, who felt ignored. And from that tender hearted place, I can bring it to my husband, the women in my women's group, my closest women friends and say, I need a little bit more connection time with you. When would you be available for that? And that is a very responsible yet vulnerable way of approaching the overwhelming intense feelings that come up. And usually we're feeling hurt or frightened or lonely. And 
this is a kind of a knee-jerk response for a lot of people to cover those very tender feelings that are hard to show up for over with anger, which is also pretty hard to experience and hard on our body. But when we can dive down under the irritation, resentment, and anger, there's always some hurt and fear under there. If we can contact that, and we have built a context of safety in our relationship, then we can bring those tender feelings to the other person. And vulnerability invites vulnerability. It doesn't guarantee vulnerability. That's why it takes courage to do it. We don't know for sure if, if they're going to get vulnerable back with us. But generally speaking, when we're not attacking somebody or threatening somebody or being bossy and controlling, our open-heartedness invites their open-heartedness. And it's that connection that is so satisfying and leads to all the creative options that weren't showing up to us before. This is so good and so big. Aren't, are you guys hearing this? I mean, we all are in relationship. This stuff matters to our girlfriends and our boyfriends and our husbands and our partners and the people we work with because everybody wants to feel seen and heard and valued. We're going to talk about more how to do that with Linda Bloom when we come back right after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Polly Campbell Simply Said on the Best Business Network of Electrocast. We are talking with Linda Bloom about relationships, about how to not only have them and stay sane in our marriages and with our coworkers, but also really thrive with the people we care about, with the people we live and work with. Because when we can do that, it elevates our entire experience. I think we're meant for connection. Let's learn how to do it well as a gift to ourselves and each other, right? We were talking before we went to break about, you know, our responsibility to manage our own upset and moods and understanding. And this is a big one for me because often I will be triggered by his energy that he brings through the door or something that he says in I switch and change this into a whole nother ball of wax that doesn't even apply. But Linda, you mentioned that, that we can often feel what other people are bringing in the office. Or if, if somebody we're working with is upset over the lunch table, we might pick up some of that. Or if my husband walks in and he's had a rough day, I might make that into something else. Do you see this happening? I see it a lot. And there's a whole continuum of people who are highly sensitive and very empathic and they actually feel other people's feelings in their own body and the other end of the spectrum are people who don't have that kind of a highly tuned nervous system and everything in between and so feelings are contagious and so when we notice that we're picking up on other people's feelings and it is somehow diminishing our well-being that's our opportunity to draw some boundaries to allow them to have theirs and be separate from us and come back into our centeredness but we can bring some compassion and understanding and offer a little comfort to the people around us with our words with our tone of voice maybe touch them maybe with a hug and our centeredness can contage to them mm. and give them a little bit lift, a little bit more peace, 
a little sense of safety of being in the world in these very difficult times that are scary. We don't know if we're going to get sick. We don't know if somebody that we love is going to get sick. People are worried about their finances because the jobs have uh, been shifting and changing. And so, you know, there's all kinds of stresses around us all the time. And so people who were able to manage their moods better are sometimes really over threshold now because the stress is much higher than it was pre-pandemic. I like the way you talk about going through the world with this kind of gentleness and centeredness, not only toward our partner, but toward ourselves, because having a good relationship then isn't about negating your own personal needs and desires and so forth. It sounds like you need to be yourself in order to support the partnership. It's very important to take good care of ourselves. And when my husband and I teach our classes at Esalen and Kropalu or wherever we're teaching, we emphasize the importance of having a really good relationship with yourself, which positions you well to have good relationship with your partner, your kids, your family of choice, your literal blood family. It always starts with self. And often people have been negligent about taking good care of themselves. At Valentine's, and we do it on our wedding anniversary too, my husband and I renew our vows. And we've been doing it for many years. We re-enlist for our old vows and then we add new ones, whatever happens to be, you know, vow, vow du jour of the new time. And one year I couldn't think of anything that <laughs> on top of all the things that I'd vowed to be a, a good negotiator and and he said I said I said I can't think of anything do you have anything to offer to me I really want to give you what it is that you would like from me I never in a million years could have thought of what he was going to say he said I'd like you to vow to take better care of yourself mm. I was so touched by that and I did vow to it and I have been living my vow because I really understand that if I practice responsible self-care, compassionate self-care. I eat well, I exercise enough, I'm with my friends plenty, you know, that um, get enough rest, that I'm bringing my best self to him. And I offer that to people who maybe have a tend to, tendency to overwork, maybe they have a tendency to put their children's needs way ahead of their own, or their partner's needs way ahead of their own, that it's a great gift that we give to the people that we love the most if we take good care of ourselves. And it's a delicate balance, you know, not to make other people's needs more important than ours, but it's also really important that we don't make our needs more important than theirs, that it's a good deal when we're trying to get that level um, in balance. And we have to keep calibrating to, to see to it that it is in balance. Yeah. I, I, I am calibrating all the time. When we first got married, my husband asked me straight up after a few weeks, he's like, can you please 
set a stop time for your work so that when you walk out of the office, I don't feel like I only have you for a few minutes. So if it's seven or if it's five or if it's whatever time, at least I know when you walk out, I get you for that time. And it, it really made me think I didn't like it at the time. Um, I felt encroached upon, but it certainly has enhanced our relationship. I love this idea of Valentine's Day. We are approaching Valentine's Day. I want to make that the Simply Start. Each week we give listeners a way to kind of edge in to this information and, and this value in their own life. Linda, talk to us about how to celebrate Valentine's Day and re this renewal of our vows and what that might look like in our own lives. Well, the renewal of vows can be remembering if you had a wedding ceremony or some kind of a commitment ceremony, perhaps it wasn't a legal ceremony, but something that you two vowed to each other to refresh that. And, you know, for the past weeks, I've been encouraging the people in my, in my client load to go and find their vows that they, they kept them, do you know, but they haven't looked at them and they couldn't remember exactly what they had vowed to. And I said, if you can find them, that's great. You want to see whether you want to declare them again. Don't automatically re-enlist every year. Mm -hmm. You see what you're really committed to and your relationship has evolved since then. So there may be new things that you want to add. Maybe you realize that you've been conflict avoidant and you want to uh, vow to being brave, that there isn't any subject that is the no-fly zone. You maybe want to commit to, you've been a little bit too irritable and reactive, and when you get triggered, you, you say and do things that you're not pleased about that maybe you feel guilty about and you want to vow to filing down your rough edges. Maybe you've been overworking or giving too much time and attention to the church or the political organization or the kids and you want to vow to make the relationship a higher priority where you designate time at least once a week. Your husband was wise to put some parameters around work to designate time. And in my book, hun, Every day is not too much to have connection time. The couples that my husband and I studied for Secrets of Great Marriages, they make their relationship a priority and they have regular designated time. And if you have been lax about letting issues lay around incomplete, they may be dra draining some vital energy from your relationship. You may want to vow to, I want to take out some of those issues that have been waiting to be attended to, and we're going to get finished business with those. So there's all kinds of things. Maybe people want to have more non-sexual intimacy time. Maybe they want more sexual intimacy time. Maybe they want to have separate vacations and have more separate alone time. It can be anything. If you allow your imagination to be big and you sit in, you know, reflective pause, you will have bubble up to the surface what it is that will enhance your relationship. And then no kidding, give yourself to it. Maybe it's, I've been thinking we should be reading these relationship books for a while. Let's no kidding do it. Let's get them and let's talk about the things we read in them and weave them into our life. I'm going to do this. I think it's so interesting to think that, yes, am I still committed to some of the things I was committed to 20 years ago? And how have we evolved where I want to bring more 
to him and this and the life we're creating together and apart. You know, we, we have our own interests too. I'm, I'm going to follow you everywhere. And short of that, how can we find out more about the work you and Charlie are doing? I know you have all sorts of free resources for us. How can we track you down? If you can remember Linda Bloom, Charlie Bloom, or Bloom work, <laughs> they will take you right to our website. It's singular, Bloom work. If you come to our website, you will see our four books that are for sale. 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married is the big seller. It sold over 100,000 copies, I'm proud to announce. And some people are vowing to use our book. It's just a collection of really vignettes about couples that we've known and worked with about how they up-level their relationship. And sometimes they read them to each other and it's a good jumping off place for discussion. So all of our books are on our website and we have three free eBooks. One of them is about conflict management. It's called An End to Arguing. The other one is excerpted from our popular book, 101 Things I Wish I Knew When I Got Married, narrowed down to the 10 most important things that we learned when we got married. And the other one is about sexuality. And I'm happy to report that our book, Happily Ever After and 39 Other Myths About Love, is being made into an audio book now. So by Valentine's Day, that should be available for people who really like to listen rather than read books. That's awesome. That's important work. And it's worth taking the time to think about this stuff, right? Because nothing works in our life if the people we're in relationship with, if we can't connect them, if we can't love them, if we can't enjoy each other. I think it all matters. Linda, it's been a joy. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate it very much. And I appreciate you inviting me. I've had a good time. Good. Maybe you'll come back then. I have so many more questions. Oh, good. All right. You can find me at polycampbell.com. And I have a new option for you on Substack. Polly Campbell simply said personal essays about how I'm applying these teachings from each show into my own life and how I'm working through my own ups and downs. I think we can learn from each other and maybe you'll find value in that. You can also find me on Facebook at Polly Campbell author and right here each week on the Best Business Network. Thank you very much for being here. When we work together to connect in the relationships that matter most to us, we will all live well, do good, and be happy. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for The The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast.